We're going to continue in the book of Acts, and um, we find ourselves at this section in Acts in chapter 17, and, or in 18 and 19, and I got to tell you the truth, as I read these, this passage from, um, I think it's 18, verse 24 to 19, about verse uh, 20, uh, I really thought about uh, skipping this portion of Acts, um, but the more I read it this week, the uh, the more I decided, well, I think um, it is important for us to hear uh, this uh, message because it, it really is kind of a transition. Uh, Paul has been in Corinth, and uh, we're told that he leaves Corinth with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and they go to Ephesus. And Paul leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, and then um, he decides that he's going to go to Caesarea and Jerusalem and Antioch, and then um, he's going to come back through Galatia. And so who knows how long this trip was, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. And in chapter 18, we pick up this story uh, of this person by the name of Apollos who shows up in Ephesus, and we're told that uh, Apollo is a, an eloquent person. He really understands the Old Testament. He's really good at persuading and arguing and, and convincing uh, the Jewish folks in the synagogue that, that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been uh, waiting for. It, it says that he is um, inspired by the Spirit, and yet it also says that as Priscilla and Aquila hear him, uh, that they that they discern that uh, there is a part of the message of the way uh, of Christ that he doesn't quite have right. And it doesn't tell us exactly what that is, but it says that they instruct him and come alongside him and, and help him. And uh, he continues in this ministry and, in fact, is sent off to Corinth. And then uh, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 19 as um, I'm going to read uh, 19 verses 1 through 7. Uh, uh, Paul is now returning to Ephesus, and here is how uh, Luke writes the story. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a believer? And they replied, We're not, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And then he said, well, what baptism did you receive then? And they answered, John's baptism. And Paul explains, John baptized with the baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and their lives, that is, that they were repenting. And it was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one whom they were to believe. And that one is Jesus. After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in other languages and prophesying. Altogether, there were about twelve. Everyone with ears to hear, hear the word of God this day and respond. Now, one of the, I have to admit, one of the reasons I thought about skipping this passage of Scripture is this is an often used Scripture by different denominations to make the claim of what it means to be a Christian and, um, 
and also is used about whether or not uh, you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit separate from your baptism and, and, and all of this. And, and yet, if we read the whole book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit, which is really what the book is about, this movement of the Holy Spirit, what we really see in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit cannot be controlled. That the Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated by human beings. And so sometimes we see that people are baptized and they receive the Spirit. Sometimes, like in the case of Cornelius, we see Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit before he is baptized, before his whole family is baptized. And other times we see uh, things like we read here where it seems like there are people who are followers of Jesus, or at least know something about Jesus, and yet there seems to be a concern about whether or not they have received the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't really want to get into those debates about what that means, but I do think as we read Acts, as we hear this passage, the one thing that, is, that we must see, I think, is the importance of the Holy Spirit that is emphasized by Luke in the book of Acts. We saw something like this similar in chapter 8 where Peter and John go uh, to um, Samaria to check and to see uh, on the new followers there. And one of the things they were worried about is have they received the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't think Paul was in a habit of just walking up to people who said they were followers of Jesus and saying, well, but do you have the Spirit or not? Um, I don't think every time he came upon a believer uh, that he asked them, do you have the Holy Spirit? And so I think there must have been something in his interaction with this 12 that made him think that maybe they had not received the Holy Spirit, that they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Maybe it had to do with um, whether or not they showed the characteristics of the fruits of the Spirit. I don't know, but there was something in this interaction that caused Paul to ask them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And their response seems um, amazing. To, I mean, they say we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. At least that's how it's translated. Now, uh, most folks find it hard to believe that they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is even talked about in the Old Testament. And so probably what they mean is they were not aware of this idea that the presence of the Spirit had been manifest and poured out and was offered to all people. They probably suspected, like what we often see in the Old Testament, where the Spirit comes upon a prophet and, and empowers and emboldens that prophet to speak the Word of God. And it seems to be a temporary thing or at least something that is just for a select few. But it seems to be clear in Acts that the expectations of the followers of Jesus is that everyone will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. In this whole section from 1824 until, until uh, verse 20 in 19, after this passage, there's, this, uh, there's another scene of, of uh, individuals who, who see Paul is laying his hands on people and saying, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. And, and they see Paul doing that. And, and so they think maybe we'll just imitate Paul. We've heard about this Jesus. We'll just say, in the name of Jesus, you are healed. And they are not successful. And in fact, when they try to cast out a demon, the demon looks at them and says, I know who Jesus is. 
And I know who Paul is, but who the heck do you think you are? Uh, And the demons chased him away. And I think the whole point of this section is to point out um, the importance of the Spirit and the importance of truly knowing Christ. I think the whole point of this section, especially you got to remember this is early in the church when folks are trying to discern uh, the difference between Judaism and, and other religions and uh, really following Jesus is a new thing. They're trying to discern what that means and what that looks like. And in essence, I think Luke is trying to emphasize those things that can be missing if we're not, if we don't pay attention. As we read these passages, I think uh, that we will note that, you know, there is something more than just um, knowing about the Old Testament and the promises of the Messiah. There is something more than just knowing about Jesus. There seems to be even something uh, more than just having right knowledge of Jesus and the Messiah. It even seems that there is more than simply repenting and having our sins forgiven. Because John's baptism, which is spoken about here, was a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. It was a baptism where where folks were uh, challenged to turn away from what they were following and instead turn and follow Jesus. It was a baptism in which uh, they were invited to have their sins washed away so that they might walk afresh and anew in the direction of God. And yet there seems to be more to the baptism that Jesus offered. More to following Jesus than just repenting and forgiveness. And that more has something to do with the Holy Spirit. It has something to do with this third person of the Trinity that so often, even today, we don't talk much about. And it has, uh, more to, it has something more to do with just knowing about the Holy Spirit. It has to do with receiving and experiencing that Spirit. That Spirit which not only um, helps us to keep turning toward God, which not only helps us to experience and to lay claim to the forgiveness that we have been promised through Christ, but a Spirit that also enables us to truly live and love like Jesus. A Spirit that enables us to be transformed and continue to be shaped in the image of Christ so that we look more and more like Christ each and every day. We're not asked to do that in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, if we look at the letters of Paul, we also begin to realize that the Spirit is also given to help unify the church. That the Spirit is also given to enable and to empower um, all of the followers of Jesus to discover their gifts and their talents and to put them to use in building up the body and in being witnesses to Jesus in the community and in the world. And so uh, Paul and the apostles we're very concerned to be sure that the early Christians understood that when uh, Jesus uh, died 
and rose and ascended into heaven, he did not leave us here alone, but he um, imparted and poured out the Spirit upon all of those who would receive it so that we might not only know about Jesus, but so that we might have a personal relationship with Jesus so that Christ might be in us and we might live in Christ. So that we might be God's hands and feet in the world and for the world for God's purposes. They were worried that if people did not understand and did not seek to open themselves to the Holy Spirit, that they would be unable not only to experience the living presence of God in their day-to-day lives, but they would not be fully equipped to serve the kingdom of God and to participate in that kingdom being spread throughout their communities and throughout the world. And so for us today... I think as we hear this passage, as we read this section, um, I think it challenges us today to ask us, how, how is our life in the Spirit? How are we experiencing the presence of the Spirit? Do we... Do we really lay claim? Do we really open our... Are we really aware of the Spirit that we received in our baptism? Or have we so uh, hindered the Spirit that we find ourselves trying to live in our own power to be like Jesus rather than listening to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to shape us and form us and guide us? How is our life today in the Spirit? How do we experience that Spirit? And how do we allow that Spirit to empower us to be the people of God? And so I think as we hear this passage today, we are challenged to ask ourselves, are we missing the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives this day? Do we need to not only be aware and know about Jesus, but do we need to open ourselves up to the Spirit that Jesus sent, the powerful Spirit that came on that first Pentecost that so filled and overwhelmed the disciples uh, that they saw the world differently, that they experienced Jesus differently, that they could not contain their excitement and the love that they had experienced, and it just overflowed from them because the Spirit continued to refresh them and to fill them and to embrace them with the love of God and the love of Jesus. May we this day ask ourselves, how is our life in the Spirit? Are we paying attention? Are we listening? Are we allowing that Spirit to guide us and to lead us and to send us forth boldly into our community and the world? Amen.